After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Josh, it's been another great week of games, a lot of excitement at the Stanley Cup playoffs, and another week where you hear cheers for the referees in every build. I've heard crowd noise for the referees. <laughs> I've, I've heard them serenade the officials a few times. I don't know if I'd call them cheers, per se. I didn't say that these were supportive <laughs> cheers. All right, all right. I said they were cheers and expressions of enthusiasm and excitement. And I, I seem to hear a lot of them saying refs use cups, which is funny because sometimes you drink out of a bottle. But, uh, you know, I guess refs use cups is, is what I'm hearing. That That's what they're saying, right? They're Yeah, versus cans, <laughs> versus bottles. Yeah, that's it. You're right. Maybe it's maybe that's it. The big red solo cups are the <laughs> official uh, cup of the... <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think that's actually the case, ah, but something different entirely then. Oh, got it. Okay. Yes, yeah. Fine. Okay. So the, the good news is we were, well, you were, because again, you've done all the work to procure us a great guest for this episode of the Scouting the Refs podcast to touch on some of the incidents that have gone on in the past week. Um, I, I don't want to give it all away, but I really like that Don used the phrase menacing. So you want to listen for that. Yes. Menacing. We definitely have to touch on some menacing moments moments this week. So always nice to catch up with Don Koharski, prying him away from his desk duties over at TNT as a rules analyst. And nice to have Don Koharski on the show, joining us again on the Scouting the Refs podcast. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Don, we know that players get excited being in the building. The atmosphere goes up another level or two or three during each round of the postseason. Is that something that the officials are aware of as well? Is that something that they feel and enjoy? Because it's, I find it a, a bit of both sides because you want to remain a bit emotionally detached so that you can do your job properly. Tell me what it was like for you. Well, absolutely. I mean, the regular season, you know, you get that selection to the playoff team as an official, then it goes up 10 notches, then it's go time. And then, you know, because it's a performance-based business, you get selected to do the first round of the playoffs. but if everyone's goal is not to work a Stanley Cup final, then shame on them. You get pumped, you get jacked, you're at home, you're waiting to go. And then no different than players, you get in that building. And I always, when I got in the building for my first game, it was like a sigh of relief and your shoulders went down and said, yes, here, I've arrived. This is what I've worked hard for. This is what I, I, I worked all year to get some currency in the bank, if you may to get to this position now. Now I've got to work hard to continue and get to the next level. So it's exciting. And the first exciting email or, or phone call is when you, when you made the team and now it's time to go to work. So yeah, it's no different than us for the players. But the difference is maybe some of the teams know that they're in a month out. Officials are right to their last call. They're, 
they're only as good as the old saying, they're only as good as their last call. And it's so true playoff time, performance-based. Yeah, I'm sure it's exciting when you get that. Like you said, it used to be a call. Now you get the email and you, you scan the email and hope your name's on the list. You know, when you're going into the games, you mentioned Don getting fired up for the series. What's it like to come in? Because the officials are working different series. They're moving from game to game, sometimes across the country. What's it like to come in on a, a game three or a game four as an official in the middle of a series when, you know, tempers flare, you get a lot of penalty minutes coming up, you get some rough stuff. How do you match that energy level or how do you step into that situation when these teams have already been going at it and you're hitting the ice for the first time in the series? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, you know, the standard is the standard, whether it's game one or, or, or your, your second game, which may be a game four on the other side of the coast. It's, it's the standard. So you're hoping the guys ahead of you have set a good standard that you're coming into a good place. The nice thing what the league does, and it's really, really good, and I've been there. I was there for nine years or 10 years as an officiating manager with a series. That's my series, all seven games. It's my job to do my due diligence. It's their job to do their due diligence on game one, two, three. So that new crew that's coming in for game four, that's a huge meeting. There's a meeting every morning uh, over coffee with the crews. And you'll walk the guys through in general what have happened up to this point in the first three games if you happen to be walking into game four. The guys that manage the series, they do a really, really good job. They work hard. They're at the morning skates. They meet with the coaches and the GMs. They hear both sides of the rhetoric. They try to figure out the truth, which they're good <laughs> at doing. And then relay that message in general terms to the crew that's going out there for that game four. But every crew's got to come in with the same frame of mind. It's it's work ethic. It's standard, 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 standard. And I, you know, I think the guys have done a good job of not putting the whistles away. So the teams know that the next crew coming in is going to have the same standards. So in a perfect world, that's how it would play out. Doesn't always happen that way, but that's how we all like it would to happen. Sort of a two-parter here, Don, with regard to those meetings that you have with the officials that are working, do you use video clips at all? And also, what's it like being the standby official and if you have to jump into the mid-game situation? I personally did not use videos. I think sometimes this time of the year, too much information is not good. Now, that being said, keep in mind... These guys are watching every single game. If they're not working tonight, there's not an official that's still in the playoffs right now not watching the two games tonight. General interest to stay in touch with the game, to stay attached to the game, maybe to learn something. But they're all watching the games, especially the guys that are maybe coming into this game if they're not in the building or a standby. So they're in touch with what's going on. So I never, ever like to micromanage. I talked in general guys get their points across and the guys understand the underlining message that's delivered to them in those morning meetings. The second part, standbys, you know, you used to sit in there and have a coffee and some of the guys used to have a cigarette and, you know, uh, <laughs> you know and then somebody would get hurt in the ice and have to put their cigarette out and finish their coffee and then they go out and work. Well, it's a little different now. Guys are, warming up the same time as the on-ice guys are, sharing the bikes, doing their terabands and their and their and their their sprints outside as a standby. And then they get dressed. Uh, they've stretched. 
and then they get dressed and then they, they watch the game and they watch it intently. They got to get a feel for that game. In a perfect world, if I could do it, and I, I do it with the league of officials that I run now. I'm a director of officials for the National Lacrosse League, the NLL. I have my standby games because we're in playoffs now. I have my standby guy uh, at the glass sitting in a chair because I want him emotionally attached to the game. I want him feeling the game. I want him hearing the game. I want him seeing the game firsthand. A little different in the NLL than the NHL, of course. But, yeah, no, they're ready to go. And then when it's time, you know, if it's time to go, like, you know, Wes did there the last round for his nine seconds uh, <laughs> thing, uh, or 11 seconds, whatever it was, they're ready to go. They're not going to take 20 minutes to go. All they got to do is slip on their skates. They're fully dressed. They've stretched. Uh, if they're not in the first period, they'll ride a bike again between the first and the second. So, so they're getting ready. And like I say, they watch that game intently. So when they do get out there, they do have some kind of a feel for where the standard is. What is, you know, we allow them to play a little bit where they're going to be at when they get in that game. Still not easy to do. It'll take them five or six up and down ice reps to, to start feeling good. Yeah, I know for Macaulay, that was pretty funny in there to watch him warm up, take the ice, and then... You know, we see the broadcast crew talking about it. They show him coming out of the tunnel to join the game. And the next commercial break, boom, he's right back off again. So yeah, he, he, he come up quicker than he did when he left. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a funny moment. You never want to see guys get injured. And, and certainly it happens. And I feel like the most common way is on uh, getting hit by pucks, whether it's on a dump in, a shot, a play along the boards there. And you, you're doing your best as an official to get out of the way and to be positioned to watch the play. But sometimes you can't do anything about the players there and you get hit with a puck, whether it causes an injury or like we saw the other night, John McIsaac puck off of him right in front of the net leads to a Leafs goal. So uh, as an official, is it getting harder to stay out of the way? I feel like guys are uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time more frequently this season. That's a, a pretty sensitive spot with me. So um, <laughs> it really is because I, I'm a guy that when I was a coach or a mentor there, I, I, I could never understand why the guys wanted to referee from the corner. Uh, and I always coached or, or, or helped or diagrammed and explained why you should maybe be out of the corner and closer to the net and then doing all those good moves that you do looking from out of the corner because, you know, cycles are started in the corners D-men are, are scrambling in front of the net. The coach either says go high and hard up or just dump it back in the corner and go to work again. So, yeah, I, I agree. There's more more guys getting hit with pucks, getting in the way than I can remember ever. But the game is fast. I don't know why they're in there as much as they are, but if that's what they're going to do, they're, they're, they're confident in their skating abilities. Uh, I just think that's a real – area where there's a lot of hockey that wants to be played in their cycle and, 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 you know, you should work uh, to get out of that area. And the most part, most of the guys do, but yeah, I, I see more of that too. And then, you know, young John McIsaac, unfortunately off the knee had no, no way of getting out of the way of that. So, but I think, you know, positioning is, is huge. And I see a little bit more now since the McIsaac thing, and I don't know if it's coincidence, but, the games last night, I seen the guys not working as much in the corners and away from the boards a little bit more last night than I have previous games. So maybe management has said something. I don't know. But overall, the guys do a good job anyway. So nobody wants to get hit with an 80-mile-an-hour puck. No, I can tell no. the players out there right now, 
no official is jumping in the way of your dump in to break the play. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're they're not the ones laying out to block a shot. I, I, I we're, we're not very smart, but we're we're not that. Dumb. <laughs> So you bring up a good point, though, Don, that the evolution of officiating continues as the game pace picks up and styles change. You can go back to the great glory days of linesmen climbing the glass when the glass was lower. They can't do that anymore. And you have to evolve your positioning. And we hear lots of suggestions, I'll call them, about how do we change and evolve officiating further, whether it's more video review, whether it's putting a ref in the press box to watch? Is there a tool, whatever it is, that you could see maybe being adopted one day to help the guys on the ice? Whatever it is, doesn't have to be video, can be anything. Well, I, I honestly believe, I, I think we've got enough video. I think the game is good where it's at. And I, I listened to Dave's podcast with you guys there a little while ago. I agree with DJ 100%. I think we've got enough video. Guys use it well. It's a good resource. But I don't know if we want any more. What I would think, what I would suggest is is just maybe changing the mindset of your entry into the end zones as, as, a, as a lead official going from trail to lead official and deep in. Um, and it's about, you know, getting the optimal sight lines that you can. And that's moving your feet. I always said the puck's moving. Your feet should be moving as an official. No different than a D-man, you know, puck moving, feet moving. And I think it's, it's, it's the positioning of your entry into the end zone to first and foremost get the optimal sight lines and then work hard down low to maintain them and stay out of the way so the players can play the game. So I always said, who has the best sight lines when a play's coming at you? Answer is the goaltender. He sees the play, he sees the guy, the, the D-man coming in back door out of his soft eye, his peripheral eye. He's got his hard eye on the puck and the three-on-one there. So why wouldn't we want to get down and stand 10 or 12 feet from the goaltender and see the same thing and have the game come at, at us that slow? It slows it down. I was always a component of that. And then you just move accordingly to where the play is, but always make that area your home base, if you will. And then you have good net presence when the play crashes to the net. Puck's free on the other side of the goaltender. You're there. You can see it. It's play on. Get behind the net like Kelly Sutherland did so well last night. You know, there's some loose pucks last night that maybe if you're standing in the corner flat-footed, you're probably blowing the whistle because you lost sight of the puck. So I think long-winded. I just think changing your entry into the end zone and just tweaking a little the mechanics I think would go a long way for for the guys. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting one. And one you think of as a player, like uh, Wayne Gretzky saying, you know, I skate to where the puck's going to be. As an official, why not officiate from where the play is going to be instead of chasing it down the whole time? So I think there's a lot of sense to that, Don. I think it's uh, one of those challenges that folks need to understand that when the officials are calling the game, they can only call what they see. And so much of that is driven on positioning first and then judgment second. Because if you didn't see it, you can't judge what happened on the play. So if you're in the right spot to make the right call, then uh, you know maybe that that change in viewpoint makes all the difference. Yeah, it's all, it's it's never changed in a hundred years. It's all about mechanics. Your mechanics. Instead of chasing, like you say, instead of chasing the game, let the game come to you. You slow it down. You you see better. You react better. It's it's about. I always believe it's about staying emotionally attached and working in the dirty areas when you have to. Yeah, that's where you stay emotionally attached. 
because you got to remember now, nowadays, we do have those eyes in the back of our head with our partner on the blue line. So, you know, you cry, you work hard around the net. You got to trust your partner is going to take the perimeter, the high slot for the holds, the trips, the cross checks, the punches, and you just put trust in each other. And uh, I think you, you tweak that a little bit. And I think, you know, it might be better served. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. And I think you hit on a good point, too, about the emotion of it. You're trying to get as an official a sense of how the game's going and, and you're looking for those situations when you you need to call a penalty or, or when things are even and you can let things slide. But I think fans get frustrated and I know some players, especially Jonas Ziegenthaler, get frustrated when you hit those automatic penalties where it's not a judgment <laughs> call. It's a puck over glass in overtime. And, you know, the joke is that the whistles went away. And like you said, we, we noticed there's been more penalty calls this postseason. So they haven't pocketed the whistles. But playoff overtime, it feels like the only thing that can be called is a high stick or a puck over glass. Does it drive you nuts? Is that a rule you would want to change, Don, to put that back in interpretation of whether it's deliberate or, or do you like the automatic minor penalty for puck over glass? You know what? When it first came out, I didn't like it. But then when you're when you've got in the regular season, when you have several games going on and they're across the country, and you know, back in the days, you know, in LA a puck would go over the glass and that referee would judge that it wasn't intentional, no penalty. Same night, same period in Boston, the same thing happens and the, and the Bruins get called a penalty. Power play goal, they lose two points. So I think I took a change of mind. I think if it's consistent throughout the league and it's going to be called the same in, in Los Angeles on Saturday night as it is in Montreal on Saturday night, then I think that's a good thing. It's an equal f- playing field for everyone across the league that you are going to get your power plays when that puck does go over. You're not going to have seven or eight guys judging differently in seven or eight different buildings. I like it, too, in that it does provide the the consistency. There's no gray area. It's just this happened. This is the call. And that's what everybody strives for. That's the challenge sometimes with officiating is making which call and the correct call on a play. And the last one for me, I just want to ask you your interpretation of the Alex Petrangelo two-handed hatchet swing to the arm of uh, Leon Dreisaitl of the Edmonton Oilers. It's late in the game. We know all the shenanigans that have gone on. It's easy for me that this is a five-minute major and, and a subsequent suspension. But what escalates a play like that from being a five-minute major to a match penalty and a deliberate attempt to injure? Because you, maybe you could make that argument on this kind of play. Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a, a short chop. It comes from a long way, and it's a short, hard chop. It's difficult, especially this time of the year. A lot of it's on the degree of violence, what led up to it. Uh, in this case, I just think, Peter Angelo, he, uh, in this series, he's been taking a beating. They've been keying on him. He is probably the most valuable player right now that Vegas could have on the ice. And Edmonton's just doing a job and finishing hard. And I think it just, um, you know, he took a, a, a cross check in the neck. Uh, he's getting beat up pretty good. He's not that type of player. He's not a dirty player. And I just think the frustration level come out of him there. And he did what he did. I believe that the major penalty in the game misconduct was the correct call. Uh, and then it goes to, you know, Department of Player Safety and George and his people at City Hall 
to do their discipline, their due diligence. The only other call you could make would be a match penalty for deliberate or a deliberate attempt to injure, in that case. Dreisaitl staying up and holding his wrist like he got slashed. I admire uh, Dreisaitl for doing that, the integrity of the game, where 90% of the guys might have flopped and rolled around and did the big show and then get up and play in the power play the next shift. So I admire Dreisaitl for what he did. So there's a lot of moving parts, but I think the officials did their job and they did it efficiently and quickly and came to that result of the major penalty and the game misconduct for slashing. That wasn't the only moment of frustration in that one. We also had another incident and another suspension that came out of that game. This one for Darnell Nurse for that late instigator penalty. Obviously, an instigator penalty on its own is a 2-5-10, and 10, but when you do it in the last five minutes of a game or any point in overtime, it's also an automatic one-game suspension. Now, it looked like we had two willing combatants there, at least when the gloves were dropped. So, Coho, do you think it was the right call for the instigator in this situation? And then do you agree with the upholding of that instigator call and the one-game automatic suspension? At the start, I didn't. I'll be honest and frank with you and your your listeners. At the start, I didn't because it looked looked like two willing combatants. But when you take a deep dive into the rule, there's a very wide latitude when it talks about instigator in Rule 46. And the the part that they probably hung their hat on, you know, is the retaliation of maybe a prior game incident or obvious retribution to a previous incident in the game. Uh, I know those two have been going at each other the whole series. And I think a face-off or two prior to that, Nurse had challenged Hag to a fight or he's, whatever he said to him. Not sure what he said, but I know there was a challenge there. When he gets in there, his attitude, his posture is a little menacing, so it's arguable. But I think just the prior, earlier in the series, earlier in that game, everything that led up to that, Nurse did what he said he was going to do the whole series, and he said he was going to eventually get him. So you don't need all the boxes checked when it comes to the instigator. You just need any or some of them of the criteria. Distance traveled, yes. Was it menacing? Was it his demeanor like 80 miles an hour? No. He did try to get his gloves off, but I think they (laughs) stuck to him after he dropped (laughs) his stick. He was dangling his hands. He wanted them to come off. And just at the right time, who Hag was tagged up with, scrambling and pushing around, he just turned him at the right moment, and Nurse was in his face, and he knew it was it was game on. And so he did what he naturally did, threw his gloves off when he seen Nurse coming. So I, I think the league did the right thing. They also have an option that they could rescind that under the rule. But I think they did the right thing, giving them that game suspension. I don't know if Nursey's going to pay Woodcroft's $10,000 fine. <laughs> <laughs> that shit to be heard. Yeah. And, you know, coincidentally, coincidentally, Nurse's got a game. Peach Angelo's got a game. Equal playing field. Some might argue that Vegas will miss their guy more than Edmonton will, but that's, that's hockey people and those are opinions. But I, I think the, I think it was done. Now, the, the, the slash, historically in the playoffs, the league has been a little more lenient on suspensions. We all know that. They might have had added a game or two in the regular season. And on the other side of the coin, they might have rescinded 
nurses game suspension at a different time of the hockey season. So who knows, but I think they got it right on this one. I know it doesn't look good. It's not a good hockey play of the slash, but um, I think City Hall and and George Perils and his and his people and Colin Campbell and Hockey Ops, I think they got it right. Great to get the perspective from Don Koharski, doing a great job as the rules analyst for TNT Hockey Broadcast, and he'll be working throughout the playoffs. Don, it was it was great to catch up with you. Good to get your insight, and we'll all cross our fingers for controversy free for the final two rounds of the playoffs. No, you just hexed me. <laughs> Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's, uh, nicely done. That's good work.